Chapter 4 of With Fire and Sword This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Chapman With Fire and Sword by Samuel H. M. Byers Chapter 4 An unlucky campaign led by General Grant Holly Springs burned up the first foragers, some modern Falstaffs, counting dead men. In a month's time, or by November the 2nd, 1862, the army, reorganized, our division led by Quimby, and Grant in command of the whole force, started on that very first disastrous campaign for the rear of Vicksburg. Grant had some 30,000 soldiers to march with him by way of Grand Junction and Holly Springs, and another 30,000 men, under Sherman, he sent down the Mississippi River to attack Vicksburg from another direction. We marched in mud and wind and rain till nearly Christmas, the enemy constantly retreating before us. We made a tremendous supply station at Holly Springs, and left it in charge of a garrison, there were supplies there for a hundred thousand men, besides a million dollars' worth of captured cotton. Just as we were confident of overtaking and destroying the enemy, we were stunned by the tidings that a great column of rebel cavalry had dashed in behind our army. With torches and firebrands, they had burned Holly Springs to the ground, and had destroyed all the army stores. There was not a potato or cracker or a pound of bacon left. How I remember that dark night when Van Dorn's cavalry got behind us in the country lanes of Mississippi. I had been started back to a hospital in Holly Springs, for my eyes had been inflamed for days. Just as my little freight train reached the suburb of what had been the town, the rear guard of the enemy rode out at the other side. The morning that I arrived, there was nothing there but smoke and ashes and ruins, and a smell of coal oil over all. A million dollars worth of our army supplies had been burned up in a night. The pretty town, too, was in ashes, and Van Dorn's bold cavalry swung their sabres in the air and rode away laughing. General Grant's father and mother, in the town at the time, on their way to visit their illustrious son, with the advance of the army, were captured, but politely paroled and left among the ruins. The loss of the town was a disgrace to the north. There was a fort there, solidly built of cotton bales, and occupied by a colonel and a thousand troops. The colonel forgot what our ancestors did with cotton bales at New Orleans, and promptly threw up the sponge but then Colonel Murphy was not General Jackson. With the loss of Holly Springs and the destruction of our base of supplies, there was nothing for that whole army of Grant's to do but to trudge its weary way back to Corinth and Memphis through the mud and the wind and the rain. The tragical part of that campaign was taking place at the same moment down by the Yazoo River, right under the guns of Vicksburg, Grant, when he marched out of Memphis, had sent Sherman and 30,000 men down the river in steamboats to attack Vicksburg from one side, 
while he should hurry along with another thirty thousand men and pound it from the other side sherman and his heroes made the awful assaults at chickasaw bayou we read of never dreaming of the fiasco that had befallen the main army at holly springs not one word of the news ever reached him and then in swamps and bayous his soldiers waded in water halfway to their necks and assaulted impregnable hills and breastworks two thousand men were killed or mangled to no purpose some of the heroic fighting of the war was done in that yazoo slaughter pen and then sherman and his crippled army withdrew in utter failure vicksburg was safe for a while my own duty in that unlucky campaign with grant had been to search the country in the neighborhood of our camps and bivouacs for additional supplies many a time with a dozen or twenty men for guards and a couple of six mule teams we would venture miles from camp to confiscate bacon flour poultry or whatever else a soldier could eat on my return to the regiment with a wagon full of good things the companies would set up a cheer for the quartermaster sergeant the colonel always allowed me to choose the guards who should accompany me many a time our little squad got back to camp by the skin of their teeth chased by guerrillas or some wandering band of rebel cavalry our habit was when we found a plantation with something to spare on it to post sentinels in the lanes in every direction while a few of us with the aid of the negroes loaded the wagons if all went well the procession followed by the slaves we freed and took with us went back to camp in state sometimes there was indecorous haste in getting home owing to our sentinel firing his gun in warning of near danger more than one of the boys of those venturous excursions to this day have not yet come back to camp on one of these excursions one day we were surprised by a little party of rangers but we took their leader captive and with him a fine kentucky charger and a splendid rifle the brigade colonel presented to me the rifle i myself had captured for my bravery he said but the splendid thoroughbred he took for himself alas this rifle the testimonial of my adventure was burned up when the rebel cavalry took holly springs i had left it there to send north some day these excursions after food that i have described must have been the forerunners of sherman's great forage parties later on his march to the sea it was easy enough to feed an army that way if men could be found to take the risk sherman's later forage parties were so strong that the risk was reduced to fun i copy from my diary here eighteen sixty two now the enemy is in front of us he is on our flank and all around us it is dangerous to venture a mile from camp alone in fact orders are strict for every man and every officer to stay close to his regiment day or night on all the plantations along our way in this campaign there are signs of war the cotton gins the fences the barns are all gone burned by raiders of both armies who have scouted through the same country time and again 
The weather is often gloomy. The fenceless fields are brown and naked. The big houses left standing on the plantations look lone and desolate. There is no song of birds. The army wagons, in long trains, and the soldiers in great strung-out columns of blue go over the soft ground across the fields, along what once was lanes and country roads, almost in silence. Here and there, a skirmish of musketry at some creek crossing or at some wood is the only noise heard. This state of Mississippi, like the whole South, sees the desolation of war. But the big, white, lone houses on the deserted lawns, with their low verandas about them, are not wholly unoccupied. Though the arms-bearing men of the country are every one in the army fighting us, the women and the children and the slaves are still at home. These slaves desert their mistresses and come into the Union camps at night by hundreds, bearing their bundles on their heads and their piccaninnies under their arms. As rebel cavalry bands are rioting all around us, the strictest orders are given about leaving camp. But those who slipped away without leave the oftenest were themselves officers. Numbers of these went off almost nightly to pay their devoirs to ladies whom they happened to admire at neighboring plantations. These women, glad enough of the compliments of the federal officers, let it be very clearly understood that they were nevertheless true blue rebels. Things as to the war were simply glossed over in conversation, and both the lady and the officer sometimes had a delightful evening even if the delight on the officer's part was in violation of duty. Sometimes these visits led to ridiculous terminations. War is not all tragedy. Again, I copy from the journal of that December. The other night, three of the officers of our brigade, Captain H and Lieutenants D and O, got themselves into a pretty mess by leaving camp to visit at a plantation. The laughable facts are these. We had stopped two or three days to mend bridges over the Yocona River. General Grant had asked our brigade commander to report the names of three officers for promotion. Captain H and two lieutenants were selected. Among the private soldiers, these men were not regarded as deserving honor. On the contrary, they were looked upon as common braggarts. Some politician at home, probably, had moved the wires for their promotion. As it happened, these three officers were the worst offenders of all as to leaving camp without orders for the purpose of visiting rebel ladies at neighboring plantations. Some of the staff heard of this and determined to unmask them. Some rebel uniforms were secured from prisoners in our hands, and one dark night when the captain and his friends were away from camp at the home of a Mrs. S. visiting, a dozen of us in disguise were sent to surround the house. Instantly there was a cry among the women of guerrillas, confederates, confederates, friends, and a bonny blue rebel flag was waved in the doorway. We were, indeed, a desperate-looking lot, but the women met the supposed rebel guerrillas almost with embraces. The captain and his two lieutenants we pulled from under the bed by their heels and threatened them with instant death. The women begged us only not to kill them in the house. 
the officers, on their knees, pleaded for their lives. It was agreed that they should simply give up their swords, be paroled, and allowed to return to camp. At headquarters the next morning, in explanation of the loss of their swords, they told a wonderful and Falstaffian tale of being overwhelmed by Van Dorn's guerrillas the night before, and of their miraculous escape to camp. That moment they were confronted with their surrendered swords and their signatures to their paroles. There was a fine collapse at headquarters that morning. The names of the three gentlemen were sent to General Grant the same day, I understand, but not for promotion. I had a little taste of life in the hospital that December. My eyes got worse. For a little time I was in a fine private home in Holly Springs, for the town, after its burning by Van Dorn, had been retaken by us. Every room in the house had its floors filled with the sick and the dying of both armies. Long years after that, while on shipboard returning from Europe, I made by chance the acquaintance of Mrs. Kate Sherwood Bonner, the authoress, who as a girl had lived in Holly Springs. We talked of the war times, and it transpired that the mansion where I had witnessed such distressful scenes among the dead and dying was her father's home. I saw General Grant's father and mother there in Holly Springs daily. At the capture of the town they had been taken as stated, and released, the father on parole. I was now sent to Memphis, as I was still in hospital. The hospital here was in the old Overton Hotel, which was crowded with hundreds of wounded. The room used as a dead house was filled every night. It was across the court and below my own room. I could see the corpses distinctly as the window was left open. It was my habit, a strange one, when I awoke in the morning, to look over and count the corpses of men who had been carried in there while I had been sleeping. It seems now a ghastly business enough. End of chapter 4